joining us on a new episode of Grand New Podcast. Matt is, I believe, watching the Supreme Court coverage with his wife tonight. So it is just me and Delegate Sammy Brown from West Virginia, representing the 65th District. Um, Great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much for having. I'm so excited about this. Like really? I have been looking forward to this for a solid week now. Where so I was trying like, to get you on here because we're trying to like, you know, the mission of our podcast was to bring Republicans, Democrats on all over the DMV, kind of really find those movers and shakers. But then the DMV needs to include DMWV. Uh, you know what? You're you're damn right it does. Right. So like. <laughs> You know, you're doing wonderful things. Um, my my wife is from uh, St. Albans. Oh, my. Well, she's practically a neighbor. So there you go. So <laughs> I am, you know, I'm married to a West Virginia girl. And I first heard of your district in Charlestown because so many people, I work in Loudoun County Schools. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people live in Charlestown and commute. And commute. Now, we thought about doing it, but we decided it was just, it was just too far in the middle of the pandemic and everything. Sure. But a lot of people are like, hey, I drive an hour and a half and I live cheaply there. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I guess my first question, why should people choose West Virginia as the best Virginia? <laughs> I really love that you threw in my tagline. And yeah, I'm I see it a lot. And I'm like, why has no one thought of that? Before? I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> so I... Uh, I'm, I'm admittedly a little biased. Uh, I was born and raised here. Um, You know, this is the community that raised me and I am in the unique situation of now representing uh, a community that taught me, that coached me, that, you know, walked me home from school, that, you know, saved newspaper clippings for my ball games. So it's a, it's a very different and humbling experience to uh, not only be an elected official in this time, which I feel like is such a, an urgent time and potentially an impasse for us uh, and, and our social conscious, right? But also because I have this very intimate knowledge of the folks that I represent. So then the surrounding area as a whole is this beautiful place. I mean, you look over and can see the river and can see the mountaintops and it just takes your breath away. And it's so rich in history and folks are, you know, deeply loving and we have this creative component um, met with this historical context. And then, you know, no offense, Virginia, but I don't, I don't know a place that has such a deep sense of pride to belong to their state. Like we're all rabid couch burning things. Absolutely. <laughs> I, my, my wife is like, I mean, you know, because it's interesting. She said, you know, my wife is from West Virginia. My wife actually is, is a Democrat. I'm a Republican, but she said, what brings everyone together? She said the difference between Republican and Democrat there is not as like in Virginia, we're a bit more polarized. Yes. And I would say there's more of a sense from everything I know from her and then traveling, because you forgot one West Virginia landmark was the Mountain View Diner is the best food. My gosh. 
bar none. That's in your district, right? I'm so excited. Yes. And potato <laughs> soup is the special on Wednesdays. Get you some, but also the strawberry shortcake. Like if you have not had it, it is to die. The for. French toast, the egg uh, sandwiches. Stop it. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. It's and it's what amazing. I love what I love about West Virginia and why I think you guys need a be brought into the DMV exclusivity is because, you know, Virginia and I believe uh, a lot of the sins of the nation are the sins of Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. Virginia is where this all started, um, you know, from uh, you know, the Northern states didn't want slavery even go back to the revolution. Sure. Virginia stuck with it, the Confederacy. Um, Robert E. Lee made that pinnacle decision for Virginia to lead the Confederacy, but West Virginia said no. Yeah. And no. that's what's fascinating because I'm originally from New York and we had this opinion of West Virginia, a oh, Confederate flag, backwards, podunk, all this stuff. And you go over there. I don't see Confederate flag. I see people of all races at that diner. Yeah. Everyone's wearing camo and no one's bothering anybody. We are rabble rousers. Uh, well, that's what I try to convey to folks, though. And um, it's interesting because, you know, now my my profile, which is such a weird thing to say out loud, honestly, but, <laughs> but my profile is kind of taken on a little bit of a, a, a more national stage. And sure. so when folks have talked to me about my race, um, the district that I flipped, it went, oh, gosh, uh 24 points to Trump in 2016 and then I won it by eight points in 2018 so it's a 32 point swing which is unheard of by like it's just impossible to do in a in a single uh cycle but when folks are like oh my how how is this happening and you're you're young you're interracial and you're female like so so you're not exactly a moderate from what I've read right and I mean abashedly so like you're proud of your beliefs yeah I I, I'm very much well it's interesting because um and and this is another conversation uh I'm very much lifted up as a uh, a proud progressive candidate Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, within the state, when you start getting the, the opposing forces, they, you know, they love to throw in the, you know, West Virginia's AOC analogy. Yeah. But the reality is um, my progressivism looks very different than the nation's prog- progressive, yeah. right? And um, just like what we mentioned before, West Virginia's Democrat looks a hell of a lot different than the nation's Democrat. I don't think a latte liberal exists in West Virginia. No, it's just not our deal, right? No. <laughs> and and when when I talk about my values and when I when I talk about uh, policy points, I do get some pushback, but it's not because I'm trying to compromise my value set. These are very much my values. So a lot of the big uh, differences are really rooted in. Um, I do believe in climate change and environmental impact. I'm also very cognizant of uh, the historical context and and the deep, proud heritage that we have in some of these industries, steel, coal, um, iron ore. So when we're talking about these things and, and you see some of the sweeping rhetoric at the top, I'm like, hold the phone because when you, when you have that type of conversation and you're not being mindful of Appalachia, you just displaced hundreds of thousands of individuals in my home state that are already struggling. Then when we talk about things around um, 
let's go with choice, for instance. I'm vehemently pro-choice. And my my position on choice is very much rooted in uh, in creating an equitable space, what it means to make sure that we're not um, condemning folks and uh, and creating a socioeconomic disparity that that they can't get out of. It's it's truly rooted in in a humanity as opposed to I don't know. So I've seen some of the top lines, and it's like it's not that I don't understand or I don't agree on some level, but very much my my value set is rooted in this is the absolute most humane option until all is right in the world I'm going to protect your right to choose you know what I mean um I think about the right to bear arms I've gone two blows with individuals because again very much a progressive but if you talk to me about red flag laws I'm going to lose my mind I I mean I I very much uh going hard about um, Fourth Amendment rights and what it means to protect uh, components of the Constitution. This isn't this isn't something that we cherry pick, y'all. Like mm-hmm. we're we're fighting very much to have these be uh, rights that are equitable and and impact us all in a very similar way. And so when I hear folks talk about progressivism, I want them to very much reframe in a way that the root should always be around equity, justice, and a social frame. And if we're not going after uh, a, a, real, a real civic duty and a real social justice and what that means to create a space uh, in which we all coexist, um, then we're not doing it right. Yeah, and I mean, I think there's there's also a proud history. I mean, uh, there's so much uh, my wife has taught me, not just about pepperoni rolls, but about um, <laughs> about the history of, I had no idea, I'm Italian, right? I had no idea there were Italians in West Virginia. Yes. And there was uh, a huge immigrant-like history and strong uh, union history and uh, the redneck uprising and all of that. It's, oh, it's yeah. a fascinating Mm-hmm. history and you just wouldn't associate that with West Virginia so I mean I guess with your progressivism are you kind of not really so often like championing your own progressivism but you I mean you could make a case that West Virginia at its heart is more progressive than Virginia in I, its DNA I mean I could I could absolutely make that case and in fact um I feel that in talking about these values, I, I mean, we were abolitionists. It's why we broke away. I, very much the local culture here is around John Brown and the raid. Um, you know, we we talk about with great pride the uprising in our coal mines and fighting for quality of life and and fighting back against scripts. Like these, these are all, and and, and it's funny because you do see the top lines from from some of the GOP mm-hmm. when when they they're looking for their attacks particularly on me and it's like it, I'm not sure you understand what this state stands for yeah. then if if that's going to be your top line because me engaging in civil disobedience I I learned that from from the very ancestors and culture that is here in this state because we would have not had any sort 
of, of, of real quality of life had we not had that type of a, a social clash in the, in the coal mines, um, in the steel mills. And then of course, uh, most notoriously, uh, yeah. you know, in, an abolitionist uprising. That Are you watching was... the good Lord bird, by the way? Okay. So I, I have, I have not, and I need I, to. I'm not spoiling anything. Please it's do amazing. not. It's amazing. Yeah. I've been in the trenches. So you just, yeah. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have time. Yeah, absolutely. Cause you, I mean, do you have a competitor this election cycle? Hmm, I do. You do? Okay. It's I'm sorry. Funny. I get that question a lot. <laughs> so I, I must be doing something I mean, right. maybe you're just more outspoken on social media. What I thought was interesting, I think about the first time you got elected mm-hmm. and what I thought was not only about your race, but I think this should be celebrated. Once again, in the DMV, Virginia, Maryland boxes out West Virginia. But I think this is the only race in the country where two women of color went head to head because the Republican incumbent was was a black woman. And you just I don't think you see that anywhere else in the country. No, it was a, it was a wild dynamic, and uh, and also to to elevate that a bit, uh, she was also the national director for uh, Black Americans for the President's Agenda. They, the super PAC was called Be MAGA, and uh, that that was her mo. That I mean, that's kind of what she she came into the race with. Um, you know, aside from also being uh, the two term. Yeah, two-term delegate yeah. uh, for for the district in, in my hometown. Um, I ran not because I necessarily wanted to um, be in a place where where two women of color are pitted against each other, but sure. because intrinsically our values did not align. And by values, I mean, you know, we had this huge multinational corporation come in and. Uh, is Sammy Brown anti-development or anti-economic uh, uh, growth? And that was Rockwool, right? Yeah, yeah. And no, I, I'm not. But yeah. when when you have the leaders of that corporation come to your hometown, look folks in the eye at a town hall and say, it doesn't matter what you think we're coming anyway. You're damn right. I'm going to protest you. It's not okay. And then as far as our representation for for you, for your very explicit statement to be, I'm agnostic, mm-hmm. that doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. Now, does it is it political politically expedient for me to to take hard lines the way I do? Probably not. But you know where I stand on things. Yeah. You know, you know how I'm representing you. And it could be one way or the other, but I would venture to say at this point in this district and across the state, frankly, um, you know, you might love me or hate me, but you know exactly who I am in this moment. Well, and I think it was important to prove that once again, um, people may assume, you know, and unfortunately many on the left do this, that it's not a monolith of thought. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very important about your race. Um, and, and I really, I was really fascinated by, and I think one of the reasons you won in West Virginia from even from what I see on social media, I think this is very important for the Democrats, um, gearing up towards election day, right? I mean, election day is what, nine, eight days away. There's, we are at a point in this country where on the right and the left, the demonization exists. 
And I think there is a whole, just because you're on the left doesn't mean you're communist. And just because you're a Trump supporter doesn't mean you're a racist. Okay. So how was that kind of key to your success in West Virginia, just looking at people as mm-hmm. they are, and maybe understanding their background a little bit? Oh, hell yeah. Um, that race in particular. So, and, and to frame this up a little bit, I was very much the underdog based on data, right? And on top of that, uh, in order to flip the seat, uh, you are going to have to have a little bit of uh, backing and a groundswell and, and, and uh, an infrastructure. None of those things did I necessarily have in a traditional sense, um, but I built it. And I built that specifically because when the checks didn't come and, and at first the endorsements were very much uh, the equivalent to a pat on the back and, you know, Thanks for thanks for getting out there, kid. You know? Yeah. Um, I I decided that I was going to get back to my roots, which is being a field director, and I comprised a pretty robust field program that included me knocking a hundred doors a day myself. Wow. So by the time I had gotten to door two thousand. And I'd also documented this on social media. So I would go live and I would say, I'm in precinct seven today. I can't wait to speak with you and, you know, go about knocking my 100 doors. And if I was feeling really sprightly, I'd keep going. But um, by that point, I don't know who and I don't know why, but they they caught the video and they were like, let's just see what happens. And they pulled and that's when, you know, I, I don't know how, how profane I can be on your podcast. Go ahead. It is, it is <laughs> freedom pretty, of speech. It's pretty much like, at, you know, at the round table, it's like, holy shit, she might pull this off. <laughs> and that's, and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, I'd already done the legwork, but then the cavalry came. And so now all of a sudden you're seeing this, this cross section of support. You're seeing a, a very diverse dichotomy of individuals that are like, oh my God, like what, it, what did she do? Well, yeah. what she did was I literally showed up on your doorstep and there were plenty of folks that said to me, you know, Sammy, I don't, I don't vote for Democrats, but I'm going to vote for you. There were folks that messaged me that because I was so candid with them, I did not mince words. I didn't tell them what I thought they wanted to hear. I was very direct. And uh, I I mean, I've, I've had folks say to me, I don't agree with a thing you just said to me, but the fact that you responded, that you were real with me and, uh, and that I know exactly where your heart is. Yeah. I'm going to roll with you this cycle. And uh, I expect to, to, to verbally spar with you for the next two years. And I'm like, you might as well text me uh, while I'm on the house floor, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so it's finding, it's finding that common ground, right? Because there are issues that we'll, we'll be able to, um, we, we can align on. And that's, that's what I tend to focus on in general. Um, It's your well-being. It's how I can protect your family. I don't necessarily have to go and, and get into these super divisive top lines. And quite frankly, on a state ledge level, I don't, what, what do I need to talk about 
Trump for. I, yeah. I mean, it's just when, that. when I mean, quite frankly, Jim Justice has more of an effect on your life than Donald Trump. Exactly. Now, and I do get, I do get yeah. fired up about JJ. Listen, listen, Big <laughs> Jim. I mean, I he. I didn't think this was a real person. Now, look, I'm a Republican. I get it. But, like, I just, I saw him and I was just like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> he, he's definitely uh, a character. That's to put uh, Yeah. So. He's to put it mildly. I will say, but he comes from a different generation. We're talking about bridging the gap. Right now in Virginia, uh, across the Potomac, I announced for the House of Delegates, uh, to join my state's uh, state legislature. Thank you. Um, and I hope to, I'm running against, he's the first open socialist in Virginia history and he's incumbent. Mm -hmm. Now my thing against him was, um, it's not so much that, I mean, he's a socialist, sure. And do I disagree with that? Yes. But the way he conducts himself on Twitter, let's just say a lot of complaints that people might have against the president, they give him a pass on, and he's very vulgar, very disrespectful to others on Twitter. And I don't think he takes his job seriously. And that's why, look, I wanted to jump in, not just because I think, you know, what I disagree with his politics on socialism, or I think he's disrespectful on Twitter. I want to jump in as a Republican that brings the ideas. And I, I think, quite frankly, the Republican Party um, has gotten away. I'm a teacher as well. So we have abandoned um, taking charge on education. Um, I was asked on an interview uh, with John Fredericks. He's a local radio guy. And, and he said, well, how do you, you know, if the, Virginia is now a blue state. And they're like, well, how are you going to get along with Democrats? It's hopeless. I'm like, I don't think it is. I think we can come together on issues of education, on issues of the environment, especially our generation. Um, you know, we, we can fix these divides. And I think especially... I mean, think about it, whether it's Jim Justice, Trump, Biden, those men are all around the same age. Exactly. And and there's a lot of chest beating on both sides. There is. And it's oh. sometimes it's hard to watch. Uh, yeah. but, I, but what I love about your statement is that you're coming to the table being solution oriented. Yeah. And that is what your community is looking for. I promise you. And I think that when we look to bridge this gap, it, it's about standing firm in your principles, right? So you don't have to compromise those. That's, that's why folks feel so cagey about politicians. It's because those seem to be uh, negotiable, not the policies that could potentially do right by people. And that's where there should be uh, points of, of well, there, there should be conversation and compromise yeah. around the policy and how to implement, not your principles. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's the real disconnect right now. Why folks don't love the word politician and frankly, neither do I, yeah. but then also because they're seeing the grandstanding and the quality of their own lives has not improved. So there's all this hate, there's all this vitriol, there's all this divisiveness, and we've not made anyone's lives better. No. But, you know, we have great mailers, so those headlines look real, real saucy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it seems like on both sides, 
and, and again, I, you know, I'm speaking as someone who is proud to run as a Democrat, but I, I will tell you my biggest issue with the climate right now is it seems like a race to the bottom of the defamation barrel. And it's, it's who not can own who on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that's just not, that's just not governing, you know? I mean, to, to quote, you know, Hamilton winning is easy, governing's harder, um, mm-hmm. you know? And I just think if we are trapped in a death spiral of just taking shots back and forth, on Twitter, you know, like we're, we're just not, you know, we're not going to come out, you know, it's not going to work well for our country or our states. It never will. And I think that you're right. It's going to be um, folks that are willing to be innovative, folks that are willing to have some political courage and really come to the table to figure out how to best transition to uh, unifying policy. Exactly. Um, in campaigning, one of the biggest wins that I that I had, I I used the hashtag blue looks good on you. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw that. I thought that was <laughs> clever too. And, you know, I think you actually tweeted about Virginia on that. Yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> so but, but the premise here isn't so much to say uh, Democrats are better than Republicans sure. or, or to, to even feed into that uh, narrative. It's very much around, you know, y- you, you can have any part of the political spectrum that you reside in and you can still kick it with me. Like you yeah. can still come on over here. This is, this can still be your campaign. And uh, I think strategically, because my district is, is not a blue leaning district. Yeah. It's actually genuinely split in thirds. Uh, and, and I think it might, I mean, it's probably going to go for Trump this cycle, right? I, mean, uh, I, I would imagine um, my district, well, my district is a true swing. Yeah. Because the electorate is split. It, it really is like 33, 33, 33 um, with, you know, the little fraction of the other. And yeah. then um, we have a district that's around Carnesville Middle Way, which is, uh, probably the most rural of Jefferson County with our breeders and a lot of uh, ag in that particular district. And, and that one definitely um, will go for the current. You, are you worried about this? I mean, now, look, I, I seek to be representing Manassas. And unfortunately, um, you know, N- Northern Virginia, it's a great place. Um, a lot of great resources, great colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, you're near the capital, but housing crisis is unreal. And I mean, even though I live 50 minutes from the Capitol, Manassas was looked at as the affordable. I mean, my wife and I decided to buy here because we wanted to be near family, you know, and friends. And this was kind of a a good place. But the housing crisis has gotten infinitely worse and DC is spreading. Do you fear, although people are going to the Eastern Panhandle to get away, do you feel that the tentacles of the Washington housing market will infect your state? It already has. Uh, the reality is there's a number of families that have been displaced from the Eastern Panhandle. Um, the families that can afford to live uh, in the area right now, they, they are commuting. And it's because, mm-hmm. you know, their wages are significantly higher when you cross the border is Ransing kind of like the richer area because like when driving through there that seems like more of the up and coming they're building like a nice mm-hmm. you know townhomes so, and whatnot 
Yeah, they're starting to develop uh, some of the newer homes and, yeah. and the housing developments. And uh, Ranson's definitely uh, building up and out. Yeah. Um, but when I when I describe Charlestown and Ranson, it's it, it's truly you have pockets that are reminiscent of when I was younger, when I was growing up and uh, visibly you see kind of like the historical communities and the folks that can afford um, to restore these homes and and it's kind of like that old money. I, it reminds me of sure. Gatsby with the old egg. New yeah. <laughs> um, so you have that pocket, but then you also have the surrounding pocket that is very much lower income. And and you also see a lot of diversity in these areas too. Then mm -hmm. you get out to the outer ring and that's where you see some of the uh, neighborhoods and housing developments and, and the Dan Ryan homes, if you will. And that's where you're starting to see folks that are very much, um, they're federal employees. They, uh, they may be a bit like me and, and serve in the guard, whatever the case may be. And uh, that's how they can afford those particular neighborhoods. But if, if you and everything you have and possess is right here in Jefferson County or in Charlestown and Ranson, I would venture to say that you're struggling right now to afford um, to afford housing, especially by like traditional measures. Because like you know when um, when I when I looked over there, I was like, wow, like these prices are pretty good. But I'd imagine for the locals, I mean, I'm only doing that compared to you know when I see a house for two fifty, I'm like, oh, that's a great deal. But yeah. maybe that wasn't always the case because in Northern Virginia, a little tiny townhome. I mean, I know. Like, you know, we, we, we bought a townhome. I know within five years, this thing's worth 400. Mm -hmm. Easy. And because they're building the metro and it's like, we want to, and I know uh, Jefferson County has the Mark train. So it's like, how do we answer this question of, we want to progress and create jobs and good paying jobs, especially in West Virginia, you want to create jobs, but you also want to retain what you have. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want it to be like a, a Lorax situation right. right so like what do we do like because especially with Rockwell, i'm sure on the surface it looks fantastic for a corporation to come to west virginia but you got to look at the fine print what does that mean and even i think joe manchin addressed this china wanted to move into west virginia which mm -hmm. is very dangerous right? yeah, from a policy perspective there's a, an incredible amount of like kind of contentious uh, conversation when it comes to development uh, in the state right now. And I, I, I feel like I keep coming back to the same talking point when it comes to how we're building up and building out. But, you know, if we're not looking at models that are very much about reinvesting in the surrounding communities, if we're not looking at models that um, we're not promoting predatory action. It, we yeah. cannot continue to have, you know, these these larger corporations come in off of pilot agreements, ten years tax free, mm -hmm. and then just extract everything from the community, and there's nothing left for them once they've skipped town. It's happened over and over again. Or what you have in Amazon, they're not hiring people from Northern Virginia; they're shipping people from California. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what's the point? You know, a lot of people from Virginia were like, great, you're here, but you're not going to hire here. 
Right, exactly. Which, which and, isn't even a nonpartisan issue. It shouldn't be. Well, it shouldn't be, but but some of the uh, some of the dynamics here in Jefferson County and why it's gotten so increasingly contentious. And again, it's I, I'm not sure that it's a coincidence that I arrived in this moment in time yeah. in, in the political sphere because it has been so contentious just yeah. in my home county. And, and it's so much so that the rest of the state is like, oh my God, what is <laughs> what is going on over there? Yeah. Well, it's because there is truly a clashing of ideology at this point. What does it mean uh, to do business here? Um, so when we're having these conversations, uh, there, was a, there was a lot of pushback because you do have the technology to have zero net emissions and, and you have that on hand. Why are you, why, why are you being so kind of cheap about it when it comes yeah. to my home County? Why is it that we're looking to do some of these actions, but the County over got Procter and Gamble who has a 50 year build out for sustainability measures and corporate social responsibility. I don't understand, yeah. um, but back to the core question, what does it look like? I personally believe it comes into agritourism. And that's how we are able to attract folks to the area. We start to really diversify and we still get to keep um, the essence of, of the community in the area as a whole. Um, that's still going to come with some contention because for instance, I did advocate for a project, Hilltop House. We It, it was a, a full on restoration. Um, that had an investor and a developer um, that wanted to come in. And essentially it was where they had their first date however many years ago. And now that they are in a very different place in their lives and, and have been successful, they wanted to come back here and sure. take this, well, frankly, it's dilapidated. They, they're yeah. taking this property and, uh, and crafting something that is intended to be a world-class historic resort well which... speaking of speaking of tourism um i don't know if I, you had to have seen this uh, on the light-handed uh light-hearted side mm. barstool had rough and rowdy this yeah. and dave portnoy went to look i'm obsessed with the pizza reviews yes <laughs> brothers or anthony's i've been to brothers and it was i gave it a six six it was it was okay uh-huh it was good. It was okay. Um, what do you think? Because he went to Anthony's. I think he gave it like a 5-1. I think Brothers, he gave like a 5-7. Yeah. I mean, so we've got we've got Anthony's, we've got Brothers, and then you've got to go to King's. And King's. Okay. That's where it's at? It is. And I have to look at that. You'll have that. You'll have the cheesesteak of your life. Really? Yes. Oh my God, it's amazing. Did you see a home. lot of those guys around this this weekend? Like a lot of people coming in yeah. for that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was just, it was interesting to see the whole thing. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, yeah. I know. It was, I get uh, it. <laughs> it was, it's cool to see them pick the area though. I will say on on a light, you know, on the lighter end, we, we got into a lot of policy, why we're running mm -hmm. um, and bridging the divide. As we bring the conversation to a close, what are you reading right now and what are you watching? Mm, okay, so I'm currently reading uh, uh, our 
one of my best friends and she's now our caucus director okay it's a whole thing she sent me this this series so it's a four-part series it is they're romance novels y'all it's it's so wild but I, it's it's rooted in uh she started this whole thing because she was like Sammy this is my contribution to anti-racism right okay and so it's it's anti-racism love novels I mean I don't even know how to describe it but okay so it's these I don't know if you can see it but oh yeah I've seen those yes so uh, honestly I find them so deeply entertaining I, I normally pick up like very um I don't know I like I really get into some wild stuff, but this is like, yeah. it's, so it's, it's light and I get to be a hopeless romantic for a couple of hours that I speed read through this, but okay. um, Jasmine Guillory and she's, there's four books. And I, I think when you kind of like read through it, you see sure. kind of like pick up some of like the social undertones, but she does it in such a way that, I mean, you're not, being yeah. yeah, it's just very cool. And I love love. I'm gonna so. have to because I mean I've been reading. I mean, I'm I'm obsessed with biographies. So yeah. I just read Larry Hogan's book. I've read Chris Christie's book. But then, uh, my sister in law recommended to me. Maybe you could check it out. It's called Rodham. Mm. And this is if Hillary didn't marry Bill, and yes. it's an alternative history. Fantastic. Really. Fantastic. <gasps> it is fascinating. Oh my gosh. I love this already. I, so I purposely kind of, when it came to my uh-huh. intake uh, outside of politics, like I purposely kind of like got out of the political sphere um, because otherwise I think I'm going to start to get very one dimensional. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. And that's the thing. Like I love politics. I live and breathe it. And then it's, but it was a fun Look, it follows Hillary from 1974 up to the 2016 election. Oh, I would love that. And how it's completely different. And in this universe, Donald Trump's her friend. What? So, yes, it's completely not how you would. Yeah. Like, you just blew my mind. Yeah, because they were, I mean, they were in New York. They were like, I guess, business friends. Right. But in this reality, she breaks up with Bill, 28 years old, and how her whole life changes. You know, I've often thought about that because I, I, again, hot take, unpopular opinion. I think that woman got the raw end of the deal. She may have been one of the most qualified candidates of all time. I do think, I do think even, you know, even as a Republican, I think that, and once again, every relationship's different. You can't judge anybody, but if she walked out of that White House when the Lewinsky scandal happened and ran for Senate, she would have been president probably in 2004. I agree. If that I, happened. I couldn't agree more. Right? If, like, if, I mean, if that happens, if she said, you know what? Nope. And if she became kind of like the, because I think Bill was used as a weapon against her in 2016. And it's oh, a huge absolutely. gaping hole. It's, it's, she cut that out. <laughs> Please. I, I mean, but then again, it's kind of a, this double standard. Yeah. I, I mean, would you have seen another candidate shoulder that responsibility yeah. and shoulder that rhetoric? And I'm, I'm not sure you would have, um, you know, was she my all time favorite candidate? Did I stand for her? Like some people? N- no, but yeah. do I, I really believe 
that she got a raw deal. Well, my I, dad I, I theorizes just, that because she was originally a Republican. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad's like, if she stayed a Republican, maybe, who knows? She may have. I, well, and, so? and it's interesting because I could make a similar case for Elizabeth Warren because she also uh, was well, very- Well, Republicans love her for, especially on the populist end of the, the pool. Yeah. She going after Wells Fargo, that's something that we could all champion. Mm-hmm. And quite, you know, a lot of Trump yeah. voters listen. And I remember, I think I read something she came to Kermit, West Virginia. She sure did. And Trump supporters showed up mm-hmm. to listen. And I thought that it's just very interesting. I think that in West Virginia, it's possible if you can focus on maybe uh, not populism in the negative sense, but if it's an economic populism, I think a lot of Republicans and Democrats can lead the way forward I, on like, that. I genuinely believe that that's the case. I, I think we're going to have to get away from the very strange way we've started to categorize and compartmentalize. But at the end of the day, the reason that those uh, that some of the platform really resonated and across the aisle is because it was about ripping down uh, a lot of the systems that were creating this disparity. Like we as a community cannot get out from underneath predatory rates and loans and compounded debt. And, you know, here are these millionaires and billionaires and they're paying next to nothing. And we're working three jobs just to get by. And we're choosing still between our electricity and our prescription drugs. Like that, that resonates. And you're you're absolutely right that people, people traveled far and wide uh, to meet her that day. And it was a very cool thing to see. Well, Sammy Brown, let's lead the way in in working together uh, across states. And uh, where can we find you on social media for everybody listening? All of our platforms, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, it is at C Sammy Run. And you can check us out uh, on our website at sammybrown.org. But all in all, you know, the movement moves because of you. And, uh, you know, we'll see you soon. All right. Well, 